Hey, Sandy and Nora fans, to celebrate the end of the year, we have a contest for a chance to win one of five copies of my new book, Spin Doctors. All you have to do is send us an email. Our email address is sandyandnora at protonmail.com. In the email, include your address. This is very important. And oftentimes in our contests, people forget this. So don't forget this. Include your address, your name, and what your favorite episode of Sandy Nora was in 2021 and why. We will share your answers on our social media feeds. And if you do not want to be anonymous, mention that in the email and we'll give you a shout out. If you say nothing, we'll make you anonymous. Entries must be in by Friday at noon. That is this Friday at noon. So don't wait. Get those emails in and good luck. Hi, Sandy. It's the end of the year. It is the end of the year. And guess what? Oh, um, I don't know. You're a little bit taller? I hope not. That would be <laughs> that would be so weird <laughs> if I was a little bit taller. But no, you know, about a year or some change ago, I predicted there would be two Christmases inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. I I think I was wrong. I mean, I hope I was wrong. <laughs> this week seems a little bit more intense than the other weeks on the on the COVID file, mm. as you probably know better than anyone else. But I think I was wrong. I hope I was wrong. <laughs> yes, you were a little bit wrong. I think, you know, a year ago, we were not sure how well vaccines would work. And we know that they work really well. So that's awesome. And that's something to celebrate. And we also have a better handle on how COVID travels, which I think is allowing people to make smarter decisions about like spending time with other people. That's great news. And, and I don't know if people are hearing this kind of good news when they're listening to the, the news. <laughs> what do you think? I really don't think people are hearing that good news because I certainly am not hearing that good news. But before we get into all of that, what is really good news is that there is this whole new book that people can read <laughs> about to get a little information about how the news may not be the greatest place to turn mm, to yeah. for COVID. And that book is called Spin Doctors. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I have been eating and drinking and sleeping this book for, uh, I mean, a year. <laughs> yes. And so if you haven't had a chance to pick up Nora's book yet, like me, terrible person that I am, uh, please join me this week in grabbing uh, Nora's book and uh, and learning a little bit more about, you know, how the media in Canada failed us with respect to this, this, uh, this pandemic. Mm hmm. Well, there's a lot of stuff in that book that I think allows us to navigate what's happening right now, um, what's happening at the level of public policy failure and how media is talking about the pandemic still and all of the holes in the in the information that we're receiving. Because, you know, I feel like I've been banging this drum now, you know, for what well, I have been for a year and a half or almost two years, and we still don't know what is going on. But I don't know if we want to get into this now or if we should say thanks to people. 
I think we should say thanks to people. Let's show some gratitude. That's nice. That's a nicer way to start. Big thanks to everybody who supports the podcast and uh, whether you support it through sharing it with people in word of mouth or if you donate money to us, we really appreciate it. And this week, especially thanks to Rye, Shane, MS, Roisin, and Sharon. Thank you so much for your support. And you know what? In addition to sending some gratitude, I need to send out some apologies. For those of you who wait for the ad-free feed of Sandy and Nora, the last two weeks this girl dropped the ball and she did not upload the ad-free episodes uh, on time as I normally do. And that is literally the fault of UCLA Law. So you can call um, (laughs) the, you know, the exam department at UCLA Law and just be totally pissed at them <laughs> for that. Uh, but seriously, sincere apologies for um, for not uploading those as soon as possible. The good news is that was my last exam ever, like ever in life, like ever, 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 ever. So that shouldn't be a problem anymore. Haha. <laughs> oh, that's great. Which means, Nora and listeners, if I ever get really bored again and say, I'm going back to school, you need to stop me. I mean, I tried to stop you. I think I tried to even stop you at your master's, let alone this degree. (laughs) You really did. I clearly have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the sky is falling again. Omicron. The sky is falling again. Omicron. Omicron. Omarion, Omarion, Orion (laughs) is going to kill us all. I mean, Nora, I just want to say, you know, this is our last episode before we go on a little bit of a break. Okay, it's like, how did we start the year? I just went back to double check. We also started the year with the sky falling. No, (laughs) it was it was um, the first episode was about an American coup in D.C., Oh, yeah. It might be interesting to to listen to that back. And, (laughs) you know, it there's, you know, I'm looking through our episodes from the year and I'm just like, it's peppered with the sky is falling. It just feels like this is a year of the sky is falling. Um, So I, you know, it feels like a fitting way to end. Omicron is going to destroy us all. That's what I think I'm reading on the news. Mm -hmm. It's the worst. It's the it's it's the worst that it's ever been. It's worse that it's going to be. And, um, yeah, maybe I did predict right in the end, huh? Right. So we want to do a look back at 2021 for you all, but we didn't think we could have an episode without talking first about the. Um, elephant in the room that is about to kill us all, this Omicron variant. And I don't know about you, Sandy, but like I personally am not feeling like I'm about to die, though I do feel like a lot of people want me to feel like I'm about to die. This is where living in the United States is a little bit different. Uh, and, and you know, like reading a lot of news in Canada just feels like this weird dissonance thing happening in my head because when I read the local news uh, from LA, it doesn't seem like a lot is happening that is that concerning. But when I read the regular news that I read from Canada, which is from a variety of sources, it seems like the worst possible thing is happening. The sky is falling and we've actually never seen um, a part of the pandemic that's as bad as it's about to get. And I'm like, what is going on? 
that these two like I'm usually you can you can see some sort of um rational line between the way that one place is discussing uh, the pandemic versus the other. But here it's like wildly different. And I'm like, what is going on? Are, are we all going to die or not? Like, what is it? <laughs> Can somebody tell me? Clearly, somebody should have some sort of information about whether we're all <laughs> going to die or not. Yeah. Well, if you read, as you say, the Canadian journalists, there is this theme of we're all going to die. I know the Toronto Star just had a piece from Bruce Arthur arguing that things are about to get worse than they've been. And there's a lot of people sharing this online saying, oh, my God, it's going to be worse than I think it's I think the article says that it's the it's about to be the worst that it's been the worst that it's been. And I, I guess if we forget all of 2020, that's a, a line that could make sense. But there's two kind of there's two things happening here. One is that we are now 19 or 20 months after the 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 appearance of COVID in Canada. And in those 20 months, the the rate of death has dropped. And that is so important. And that isn't the case in the United States, right? Like the rate of death in the United States has has remained very high because the vaccination rates are so low. But in Canada with our very high vaccination rate, the rate of death has dropped. Now, that doesn't mean that the hospitals are, are, are empty and it doesn't mean that people aren't getting bumped for surgery and all these other kinds of issues because we have a hospital system that always operates at capacity and cannot operate higher than capacity when there's actual health crisis on. But it is interesting to see, like, there just doesn't seem to be any, like, ability to remind ourselves where we were in March 2020 and April 2020. And because I look at this so closely through the eyes of um, residential care, like the the difference in the number of outbreaks that are happening right now in residential care facilities, it's night and day. I think like I think in British Columbia, there's like seven facilities that have outbreaks total versus I mean, there was dozens and dozens and dozens before hundreds in Ontario. Now I think there's six. Uh, Quebec is also a list of maybe 10 or maybe 12, but there's still only like one death listed, whereas before it'd be one death at least per facility. And and this is a really interesting like location to look at the impact because these are controlled environments where infection control can be um, managed in a way that, you know, the, the family home it can't or, or has a lot of a harder time doing so. But they're also locations where outbreaks are pretty common. And not just, I mean, COVID, I'm talking about other kinds of respiratory or gastrointestinal, <laughs> gastrointestinal outbreaks. And so... I, you know, there doesn't seem like all we're instead we're we're focusing on is this, these the numbers. It's like, well, if this if, if this is very virulent, then it's going to spread to all of the hundreds of thousands of people who are not vaccinated first. Like as if they all are in the same spot. Like as if they're not all kind of dotted among people who are vaccinated. Or, you know, there's no conversation about like the severity of this. Like, what does severity look like? Because all we know about severity is what we see in hospital statistics and ICU stats and death stats. But like, is this something that like you don't want to get uh, because it's like getting the flu? Or is this something that you don't want to get because you're going to die? And those are two different things. And who you are obviously is going to have a different interaction with that virus because maybe the flu is something that can kill you. And I know like my family has experience with that. <laughs> um, and so I, I appreciate that there's different like levels to all of this. But instead of talking about those nuances, it seems like the entire media ecosystem in Canada has decided to flatten them all and just given Canadians this, you are probably going to die. 
uh, narrative, while at the same time, politicians are literally doing nothing to that's different to confront this virus other than, you know, people calling for the for the boosters as if like we can't do other things in society to try and slow and mitigate the spread of this virus. Yeah, I mean, I've been seeing some discussion online about like, why don't we have rapid tests in Ontario where some other provinces do have uh, rapid tests? What's going on there? And I mean, as Nora's saying, like, this is just a failure of our government to really consider the myriad of different ways that we can control for spread and really actually understand what's going on, get information about what's going on and understand it. Because if you just read, you know, like I did as I was um, going to Toronto last week, I was in Toronto, as you folks know, um, and uh, just read the cases are going up and everything's skyrocketing and the numbers are wild and it looks awful. It looks like, oh, maybe I should stay home. But then taking a closer look at the data, it was like, oh, the transmission is all uh, is mostly happening in elementary schools. And the vaccination rate where I was going is 89%. And it's not really, um, it's not really, uh, uh, the the community spread isn't happening in such a way that I needed to be nervous based on what I was going to do. So, I mean, that's really important information Mm -hmm. that should be a part of, of our analysis of what is happening and then what we should do. I think we all need to have as much information as possible as we can get about um, where we're, where the, the transmission is happening and how, and it would be really, really great if we could, you know, do away with the excuse of federalism, <laughs> as we've said multiple mm. times on this podcast, and just get uh, rapid tests into the hands of uh, people who need them, which at this point, it seems to be as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a whole bunch, like what you've just talked about raises a whole bunch of different issues for me. First is there was this article that came out about um, a, an outbreak uh, related to a hockey tournament. I think it's been in the last couple of days in, in in southern Ontario. And the article doesn't actually say much about the mechanics of the tournament. And so it's like, did people, did, did all these kids get it while they were on the ice playing? Was it, was it, was it instead caught in, in hotel rooms where people were sleeping together? Was it caught in like a bar where parents were gathering? Was it inside of cars where people drove together or a bus? You know, like there's so many different kinds of transmission. And I'm reading this as someone like one who's obviously interested in this stuff and two who plays sports and wants to know like, uh, are, are people getting COVID in, in, in contact sports or is there the everything that goes around contact sports that it's spreading this, this virus? And there's nothing. And, and partly, I mean, you know, journalists are not fully to blame for this. Obviously, it's public health is not telling people what's going on. And I can't imagine that after an investigation, you wouldn't be able to tell, oh, well, actually, these were clusters of drivers like getting together. And, and that's how we saw it spread. Or, yeah, actually, it was all the kids who played um, you know, on these shifts together, they all got it. Like those, that's really important information, but we're just like, nah, we're good with like nothing. We're good with, with public health, just saying, um, hockey tournament outbreak, uh, go get tested. Good luck, everybody. And so that's one thing that I've been very, very annoyed by. Um, and then the other thing is, it's like, yeah, all the stuff that we know about how to make things better is just nowhere in the discussion. And so it's like one, 
where is the federal government's like getting getting yelled at for not giving every single Canadian a rapid test? Like, why was this downloaded to the province? And why am I not heard journalists making a bigger deal about this rather than being like, well, Quebec's only used 3% of the rapid, uh, rapid test stockpile. It's like, yeah, I can definitely be pissed at my government and I am. But at the end of the day, the federal government could have sent them all to us individually. And why the fuck did they not? And if anyone says it's because of the Constitution, you are a fucking... Uh, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, there's nothing about the Constitution. You're being had. You're being, you're being had. There's nothing about the, the Constitution's not like, in emergency situations, the government must never give uh, things to help people out. They must always give them to the provinces to help people. It's just like, what the fuck? That's not what it says. Um, and then we talked about um, uh, um, vaccine coverage a couple of weeks ago among children. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, Quebec City, like where they're doing um, vaccination in school, unless... You had a snow day last week, then they just canceled it. That kind of sucked for my kid's school. But anyway, um, the the rate of vaccinations already at 60%. And you compare that the same day in Toronto, it was like 28% or something like this. And it's like, again, this is what happens when there's no coordinate, coordinated a community approach to looking at the pandemic. And at 20 months into this, and maybe this is the seg- segue into like actually talking about the fu- like what we've learned this year and what the big stories are. But at 20 months into this pandemic, the fact that this negligence is still the, the, the dominant approach to managing it is just proof that politicians want people to die. They want people to be scared and they want them to die and they don't want to give anybody the tools or the knowledge that they need to be able to protect their communities because they're just like, fuck it and fuck you. I have one more thing to say about people who blame some of this issue on federalism and like jurisdiction stuff. What do you think would happen if the federal government just mailed all that out and it was like against the rule, quote unquote? The only thing that could happen is that a province would have to sue the federal government for breaking whatever rule it is. And it's like, which province is going to do that? (laughs) Which province is going to, in a pandemic, sue the government because the government gave out the rapid tests instead of the province? None. So when they are telling you this, like that this is the issue, it's not the issue. It's the excuse. And even if a province did sue the federal government for something so ridiculous because they decided that, I don't know, they didn't want to be in power the next round. Like, I, it would be really weird for the courts to be like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Uh, in an emergency, the federal <laughs> government cannot act. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's just like, the, like take it to its logical conclusion. You are being had when somebody tells you the reason why um, the, the federal government couldn't do anything about this is because it is the role of the provinces to deal with all emergencies forever that are health related mm-hmm. for all time. Okay, 2021. A better year than 2020? A worse year than 2020? I think we can all agree that we shouldn't make such comparisons anymore. It's not useful. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just a way to bring up bad, mm-hmm. bad feelings. <laughs> Um, but what did we learn this year, Nora? What did we learn? Well, I kind of just alluded to it. Uh, we learned that politicians don't care if people die and they will not change direction. Uh, if the collision course they're on is going to lead to people dying, they're like, whatever. And And let's, I mean, let's dive a little deeper into that because mm. that's the truth for COVID, but it is the truth for so many other things. It is. Um, 
I mean, first and foremost in my mind is the climate crisis. I mean, the government knows that it is killing people um, through inaction in the climate crisis. Never has there been a year where that has been more stark than this year. And they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. They're not planning on changing anything. They are still beholden to these oil companies. They are still beholden to capital. And um, there are so many of there are so many of us who are already suffering from the consequences of that. Um, there are so many of us who have been suffering for the, from the consequences of that for decades. And uh, this year, um, the the deaths, the flooding, the fires, the tornadoes, the landslides, the, the heat, uh, the heat, all of it, um, all of those, the deaths that resulted in it. I mean, the way we counted deaths for COVID, we should be counting deaths from the climate crisis in the same way. And we should also be pointing the finger at the people responsible because these are preventable, preventable deaths and they're human caused deaths, which I think has a label called murder. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was talking, I was thinking of a different um, mass death, which was the opioid crisis and mass death mm -hmm. as a result of poison drugs. And uh, yeah, like it was obvious in 2016. It was obvious in 2017. It's, it's been obvious for years. But I think 2021, with the benefit of the hindsight that we do have, if we're able to remember it, of looking at 2020 and seeing what needed to be done and governments not doing it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I have said this so many times in the last like two months. Awareness and understanding the issue is not going to change any politician's mind alone. And it probably won't even change someone's decision to act and to take action. However, I really hope that it has changed people in a very fundamental way. And whether that has been because you've been directly touched by this or because you're watching this and it's touching you in a different way. I, you know, I, I feel like for me, there was a real turning point in um, in March 2021, March, April and May, where and then actually again in um, in September and October for the the way that governments dealt with that wave, that wave that characterized Ontario and Quebec in March, April, May, and then Western Canada in uh, the you know later on in 2020, 2021. And this was just like pure evidence that they just don't fucking care. And that if we don't do something ourselves, then we're just letting other people die as well. And like to see everything that we apparently uh, prepared for in March 2020 coming to a head in March 2021 with the overcapacities in hospitals and with the massive deaths related to outbreaks at the work site and all these kinds of things, it was just like, wow. Like there is no champion for average people in the in the partisan world. There was not a single – like not a single opposition party did anything radical. Like they didn't use any of their parliamentary power – or legislative power to do anything radical. There wasn't a fucking politician wasn't even pied. No one even fucking stuck a pie in any of their faces. And it's just like has has completely solidified my belief that partisan politics in the state that they're in right now are doing more harm than good, uh, regardless of the party and regardless of where the party finds themselves in relation to power. Yeah. Um, yes. I think one of the, the important threads that you dropped in there that I want to pull out is that 
I think what we learned this year also, and I mean, we've known this, but I think it, it is more visceral this year, is that solutions uh, can be created through average people creating those solutions themselves. Um, whether it's the ways that people who were responding to the opioid crisis were setting up their own safe supply locations for communities, whether it was people providing support for encampment, folks who were uh, living in encampments, whether it's people creating tiny shelters of their own accord, uh, whether it was people who were trying to source where people could find vaccinations in their communities because our governments were failing us, whether it's the people who are literally stopping pipelines from being built with their own bodies. You know, there's there's so much. There's so much the people who are uh, tr struggling to create uh, police-free communities. There is so much um, that average people are doing on their own. And I think that this year in a uh, on a more kind of optimistic thread, it has shown us that, you know, we can do those things. We have the power within us to say, to identify problems, to critique problems, and then to try solutions. And, uh, you know, I think we're only going to need to do more and more of that and to lean more into that to become more creative around those things as, uh, again, as you say, the partisan war world continues to fail us. Yeah, yeah. And it, like in the last couple of, of uh, days, as I've been doing a couple of interviews related to my book, I keep getting asked this question, like, how how is Canada being changed by this pandemic? And this, I think, is the story of 2021, because 2020, we were all locked in in some way. Life was very weird. And so whether or not we were physically locked in or or were trying to work within a, in a condition where other people were locked down, uh, it had a very specific feel. 2021 was the year where we tried to go back to normal. And in so doing, I mean, there was normal things, right? People probably did get to see friends for the first time. They probably did see uh, family members that they hadn't seen in a long time. Um, and at the very least, you know, like in the summer, we knew that we could be outside in a park and not be too worried about it. And so that was really great. But, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to figure out what the impact of the last two years have been on everybody. And as someone who looks at this through the lens of, of social movement organizing, I'm wondering, like, what it's going to take for people to 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 finally move into those organizing spaces, those activism, activism spaces. And for the people who are in those spaces, and you mentioned the 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 work of um, drug rights activists in in, uh, in British Columbia, I'm also thinking of um, all of the incredible land back resistance and all of the incredible uh, um, housing justice work that has been a thread throughout this pandemic. Like one of the first active movements at, in in March 2020 was, you know, don't pay your rent on April 1st, right? And and from there, that has just grown into uh, rent strikes and and housing. Uh, justice activism and defending encampments. And then, of course, we're met with an even more heightened uh, police presence, which is not surprising. This is, a, of course, what's going to happen. And and so on the optimistic, optimistic side, 2021 for me was, was seeing people um, ready to take that radical action, even when the radical action is literally just defending people to be allowed to sleep in a park. I mean, that's not very radical, but 
to see the state repression of that is to show just how dangerous a simple action like that really can be. And I find it very interesting that that kind of activism hasn't really touched COVID. So like there has been, there was mutual aid, which of course marked a lot of 2020, but there hasn't been any kind of activism around COVID that rejects the status quo. And so I'm thinking like, are there any interesting residential care experiments or has there been any like medical units that were just like, fuck it, we're just going to set up an overflow space in the hospital or anything like this, like some sort of taking power back and 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 doing something with that power. Um, I think that that is, is something that I'm hoping to see in 2022. And then finally, I mean, there's been a lot of really great work actions as well. And, you know, in in my city and across the province, uh, the, the union, the CSN, they've got hotel workers who are on constant job action. They've got the, the daycare workers uh, in, in most parts of this province who are on picket lines right now. Uh, teachers were on on strike, on rotating strikes last spring. And it's just like this is this seems very cool. Um, but again, it still remains hamstringed in the uh, in the structures that are considered acceptable. So like the law and collective bargaining and that kind of thing. I think we also learned this year um, just how vulnerable we are uh, to. Uh, I don't even really know how to phrase what I'm about to say next. Um, the the outcome of whatever it is that we're vulnerable to is like all of the misinformation and um, the strange uh, kind of conspiracy theories that seem to really um, define the times that we're living in right now. But is it that we're vulnerable to misinformation or that we're vulnerable to loneliness and lack of community? And so um, finding a community, even if it's strange, is, uh, is, is really important to some people. I'm not really sure how to describe that, but it's a, it's a big threat. And being able to parse the difference, to have like the media literacy and just... Um, the the literacy around how power works to parse the difference between um, criticizing or being critical about power that is trying to control you, um, you know, I don't know, like at the airport and thinking about the airport because I was just there and they tried to steal my mic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, being critical around power that's trying to con- control you at the airport versus, you know, being trying to understand what is happening from a public health perspective that is uh, trying to uh, encourage everybody to get vaccines and understanding where power lies in both of those conversations, what the difference is and who's benefiting. Um, And I think we're so vulnerable as people struggle with how to understand uh, the way that power uh, interacts on their lives. Yes, I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest question, the biggest threat the, the poses the, the biggest uh, knot to untie, because a lot of the issues that we talk about on this podcast, and we've already mentioned tonight, have very obvious solutions. And the obvious solutions are just that government won't put them into effect. And so sometimes that means we have to do it, or it means we have to do what we can to try and force them into changing things. But this question of these organized movements that have come out of the vacuum of criticism of the pandemic is such a threat. And that is one thing that 2021 has been very fascinating to me for. I think 2020, there was an, there was a less of an appetite to be critical because, you know, there's a feeling of 
we don't know what's going on. Like, let's give the government a benefit of the doubt or whatever. That was, you know, I think that that kind of goodwill ex- like evaporated by the end of May 2020. But a lot of people would say that it continued. <laughs> and I just did fucking 14 interviews with CBC Radio uh, afternoon shows across this country. And every single one of them asked about, like, is it fair to even criticize government uh, in 2020? Which, of course, I said, yes, obviously, we must do that. However... 2021 should have been the year, though, where we actually did hear critical analysis of power. And that was absent, like 100 percent no fucking where in our mainstream media. And instead, what held the place of criticism was like nervous doctors who didn't like, you know, the direction the government was going. Okay, fine. Like, fair enough. Uh, or um, talking like around these movements. So like, oh my God, anti-vax nurses are creating outbreaks in long-term care facilities and making it about them rather than about infection control internally, like as it has always been and it will continue to be the actual issue. And so I'm I'm at a loss of, of like of knowing what we're supposed to do with this massive pile of shit. And I'm also at a loss as someone that, you know, would like to be able to make my career as being a critic of power in Canada. I don't know what the fuck it's going to take to convince mainstream media to like actually allow critical voices in there. Because when they systemically exclude critical voices from the left, they give power to the fucking far right. Because obviously people are going to be like waffling, looking for something to make sense of the world. And they're not going to just accept the official line because they're just not that kind of person, they're obviously going to run into the open arms of the far right because they they get access to these platforms. And I don't know what it's going to take for us to be able to get ourselves into that. Well, I think we learned that elections can help with that. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, sure, we, we sure did. Right. <laughs> obviously being facetious. Remember that there was an election this year? Do you remember that? 2021 election. Recall? Do you recall? I saw like someone talking about having been a candidate in the last election and my mind went instantly to 2019 and I was like, oh, yes, you must be talking <laughs> about the 2019 election. Mm-hmm. No, they weren't. They were talking mm-hmm. about like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we had an election in a year where, again, it felt like the sky was falling in so many different ways. There was so much that should have been consequential and it wasn't. <laughs> Which tells us what? Which tells us what about this political system? Tells us what about this idea that we are a democracy? It tells us what about this idea that we're even <laughs> a country in a way? Like I, you know, I'm thinking about the news that came out last week about uh, Canada's. A diplomatic boycott of of the Olympics, which was announced, of course, right after the U.S. announced this very same mm. thing. And how much and also was US... announced like right after our diplomat like also resigned. So like we don't even technically have one after a diplomat resigned and <laughs> and saying <laughs> and saying that we're doing it because of human rights abuses while the RCMP is being released on protesters in British Columbia, while, and again, if you, just in case you didn't know, Iqaluit still does not have running water that is usable, still. Um, the, the last news that I read about it was that um, there is no solution in sight, okay? Um, oh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're at. And, you know, I'm just like, do, at what point do we stop pretending that we're a separate country? Uh, 
One of the things that I've been thinking about nonstop since 2019, and I mean, I didn't obviously imagine that 2020 and 2021 would look like this, but holy fuck, I mean, okay, I guess we were like ripe for it, is just this crisis of liberal democracy that we're living through right now. And, you know, just because the United States has accelerated their crisis of liberal democracy, and it's obviously (laughs) accelerated. I mean, you know, as much as Sandy and I talk about the U.S. being like the same as Canada, like they're on a bit of a fucking faster, faster curve, I guess, than than us. Downward spiral. I don't downward know if it's spiral. A curve so much as a downward spiral. If that, we're going to choose shapes. <laughs> that water slide that like you have to cross your legs and then hope that you don't fucking lift them up while you're going down it because you'll actually like like leave the fucking slide. Okay, yeah, I like that. Let's make it a yellow slide. Sure. I mean, Canada's right beside it in a in a far more loop de loop kind of thing, and so we're just like going whoa 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 whoa, like waiting when's it, when we're hitting the bottom. Where's the bottom? And, like, this is something that is just nowhere, that no one is talking about, the, the, the slide and obvious collapse of liberal democracy. And as liberal democracy collapses in the United States and in Europe, it will be transformed because those countries, I mean, they still have the same aristocracies that they had in, like, the 1400s. So <laughs> Europe will fucking be fine and will replace their liberal democracy with some fucking other thing. Maybe mercantilism will make a fucking comeback. I don't know. Oh, God. But Canada... Canada man like we are I feel like we're we're really fucking I mean we're not on that fucking major water slide but we are going down and there doesn't seem to be any conversation about like explaining what that looks like or why or what we should be doing about it and instead it's like everything's normal everything's fine like we have autonomy we have sovereignty we are doing things <laughs> for ourselves and it's like no no we're not like we fucking yeah. do anything that these oil companies fucking want us to do and you're like yes but they give us jobs it's like they don't even give us jobs what are you talking about yeah, um, the oil companies, Galen Weston, uh, you know, Rogers, uh, who else? Tory, Rogers, Tory, um, Bell, yeah, fucking Quebecor. I mean, they're right up there too. Yeah, and okay, well, let's talk about the media though. Also, since you brought up Quebecor, what did we learn in the media? I think that there was a lot of um, folks in the media, uh, racialized folks in the media, Black and Indigenous folks in the media, who did a lot of pushing of Canada's media this year which has been, mm-hmm. um, which you can see, like it's palpable. Uh, you can see the ways that um, there's there's been some shifts, but not nearly enough. Like there is still this heavy, heavy, heavy resistance um, uh, to changing the very homogenous, very white, very elite space that is uh, Canadian media. And I am... Happy to see more folks um, leaning into alternative media or smaller media outlets that are doing better work than some of our mainstream um, media um, outlets are doing, uh, because that might have to be the solution, because I don't know, like, what is it going to take for our media to shift not only in the way that they cover all the things that we just talked about, but also how they decide what the fuck is important. Because I don't know, you know, if it's been two months of no running water in Iqaluit, I'm not sure why that's that hasn't been, um, there hasn't been bigger news on that, that we, we can all turn to each other and know that right away, that a capital city in Canada uh, hasn't had running water for two months. Um, 
and why it's not on, you know, why it's not constantly news. Well, part and parcel of the decline of liberal democracy is a decline of liberal media. Like our journalists, the mainstream media, and I, I'm not individualizing this. I mean, as a like as a as a system, they follow the fucking line of the government and they they, you know some of them are critical and some organizations are able to do investigations and and certainly when they're up against someone like doug ford it's really easy because if you're the toronto star taking down doug ford is fucking great because you can get the turtle guy in as the premier next but like there's there's a limit to how much just following that official line not only completely disenfranchise average people from like watching what you're doing, but it also, I mean, with 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 shrinking jobs and 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 an ability to talk about things that actually matter, it's pushing a lot of really talented journalists out. And so, yes, I agree that one of the the bright spots of 2021 has been this explosion of independent media, and there really is so much. It's really really cool. But that's also a huge problem that the most talented people will be the ones like writing for Substack or hustling to get like, uh, you know, enough to live off of while they're trying to do investigations at the same time. Like it's completely untenable. And there's no solution to this. I mean, there is a solution. Like one solution would be to pour money into the CBC Radio Canada, which would never happen. Um, One solution would be to like, you know, make it illegal for hedge funds to own and operate news organizations. That will never happen. It it could be made illegal to profit off of newspapers and that they all have to be run as not-for-profit corporations. Um, That will never happen either. Um, but they're so close. The logic that underpins the liberal, liberal media and liberal democracy, they're, they're hand in hand. And as goes one, so goes the other. We don't have much of an analysis, though, of the connection between those two poles. And instead, we're just kind of like receiving this information and being like, wait, it feels inadequate. It feels like I'm not getting the whole story. It feels like this has just narrowed my 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 view of like the world or of this issue. And the pandemic has made that ever more obvious because we are living something that is then also being reported to us. And we all know the disconnect between our day-to-day lives and what we're hearing on the news. Sorry, is Turtle Guy Stephen Del Duca? Is that what you meant by turtle guy? Yeah. If, if you're at a party, uh, what you can do is, is say that and, and they'll say, who are you talking about? And then you tell them to just Google him. And then the reaction is really great. I've done that about four times. It's nice. <laughs> he does kind of look like a turtle. <laughs> See? Okay. I just couldn't let that one <laughs> pass me by without just double checking. Oh, God, Nora, um, we're coming to the end. What do we want to leave folks with as we, you know, uh, take a break for the next few weeks? Uh, What do we want uh, folks to be thinking about as we move into a new year? Well, I think number one, Sandy, do you remember how not like a new year last year felt? (laughs) Actually, I don't. You don't? (laughs) I don't remember... A lot of it just feels like January was so, so long ago, but also just fucking yesterday at the same time. I think we've talked multiple times about how time has ceased to have real meaning. Um, But yeah, you know what? 
I am recalling that uh, both because I feel like I'm living in this place with no seasons and also because everything was exactly the same, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> nothing shifted. It didn't feel like there was a new year. Like the new year is less marked by January 1st and more marked by something really weird happened in the Capitol on, in D.C., <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I I definitely felt that last year, like New Year's was meaningless, like it, everything bled from one thing to the next, like you know, all of like the traditions that I usually engage in, everything was on hold. There was just nothing that was, was, that was possible. And I felt like more of the same. And as much as we're still living in this pandemic and there's still a lot of things that are very, very similar. Um, I mean, my kids are finally getting rapid tests next week. (laughs) So that's really exciting. Um, I, I do feel like January, I'm looking at January and I'm like, this is a new year. It, it it does not feel like 2020 to 2021. Like it does feel like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to take some time off. I'm going to be able to breathe and relax for a little bit of time. And I'm going to start in January and be like, whoa, this is a new year, even if the way that journalists are talking about it all sounds the same. So that, I don't know if that's hopeful or if that's just me and people are going to listen to this and be like, fuck you, Nora. Like it's the exact same for me. But that is what I'm thinking about a lot when I'm like staring down the next couple of weeks. And I'm really hoping that people do have that opportunity to relax and recharge and do whatever it is that makes you feel good and be with people if you can. Obviously, don't be with 100 people, but fuck, you can be with like 10, <laughs> right? And um, and hey, and if you're in a province where people are getting rapid tests for free at the liquor store, uh, Ahem, Nova Scotia, <laughs> mail that shit to your friends in the rest of Canada. <laughs> like, do them a fucking favor. I think I want people to be thinking about over the break and uh, it coming into next year, about how so much of our solutions are in community, being in community with one another, being in relationship with one another, and having relationships, real relationships with one another. Not relationships that are necessarily mediated by uh, some large corporation, but uh, real relationships with one another. And um, that means organizing relationships. That means family and chosen family relationships. That means our friendships. That means the people that we uh, disagree with and want to debate um, on when we fall on other sides, either sides of a particular issue. So much of what we talked about this year, just looking back, is about the relationships that we have to one another and how um, those relationships can really Uh, be the difference in how we organize power in this world. And so, you know, with all of the loneliness that was brought to us with the pandemic, um, I think that in 2020 and in 2021, uh, we learned about the importance of of community in another way. And I want us to, moving into 2022, uh, really think about how we can honor relationships and community um, in the way that it deserves to be honored. <laughs> 